0: Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 3. Our study of Colossians has come to a very slow-moving place because of the importance of the subject matter. Rather than scanning over the surface of these essential truths, we have decided to dive in deep and take our time meditating through, considering through, vital parts of the Christian life. So tonight we have the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is an opportunity for us to examine our hearts before the Lord. And we can really find out about our walk with the Lord when we consider our home life. We find out who we really are, what our walk with the Lord is really like when we consider the way we walk out of the public eye and really up close and personal with people that sin against us and we sin against them and, and dealing with how all of that works, it really shows us some things. How we respond to our own sin is telling and how we respond to the sin of others is also telling. It's vitally important for us to know how to respond to others and our own sin. We need to challenge ourselves concerning the rulership of our hearts. When we recognize our sinfulness or the sinfulness of others, uh, we need to start asking ourselves about who is ruling in our own hearts. What we really need is lives that are fully surrendered to our King, King Jesus. Fully surrendered. A life that's fully surrendered to the Lord is a life that is allowing Jesus to be King. And what we've been asking ourselves these last few weeks is, do you let the king in your home? Do you let the king in your home? He's available. Did you know that? He's available. He's ready. He's willing. And he is able. This is the great news that we have as believers, is that we are intimately related to the Almighty God. And He has chosen to make His dwelling place with us. He has chosen to occupy us as believers. He has chosen to fulfill in us what He has demanded of us. This is glorious grace every part of our lives will be impacted by Jesus' kingship. And so what we've discussed thus far in this portion of our study is that the king will enable wives to place themselves under the care of their own husbands. We saw that in verse 18. And then in verse 19, the king will enable husbands to selflessly love their wives, verse nineteen. Then we skipped down to verse twenty-one this morning so we could group the the, the husband father relationship into one because it's all vitally important and connected. In verse twenty-one, we noted that the king will enable fathers to, disip, uh, to disciple rather than discourage their children. Disciple rather than discourage. And so now for this evening, our challenge and our encouragement is this, the king will enable children to obey and honor their parents. The king will enable children to honor and obey their parents. Now think about this for a moment. This is a a message and and the the call here is for children and yet how applicable it is to us as adults because what we're going to uncover and, and discover and meditate on is as is our norm is that the way to accomplish that does not come from our own resources. And so the application is available for us all. I have to ask you a question. I'm going to read verse 20. And after I read verse 20, I want you to answer the question, is this verse law or grace? Is it law or grace? Verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Is that law or grace? If you say law, raise your hand nice and high. If you say grace, raise your hand nice and high. Raise it nice and high. Be proud. Be confident. Be bold. Be bold. And be wrong. Here's, just listen carefully. There's a reason why I, I go through that exercise. And, it, and I don't do it during the Sunday morning message because it's a little different setting. Uh, I'm, I, I want for us to train our minds about something. Ready? Wherever you see a command, wherever you see a command in Scripture, it is law. Wherever you see a command in Scripture, it's law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love one another. Serve one another. Admonish one another. Wherever you see any command in Scripture, it's always law. Here's a follow-up question. Is verse 20 in a framework of grace? Here's what I also want to train you to think. Anywhere, anywhere you find law, it is always in a framework of grace. Please learn this. Wherever you see a demand, it's law. Law is always in the framework of grace. God never demands from us what He does not supply for us. Not in the Old Testament. Not in the New Testament. Not in the book of Revelation. Not at any time does God demand from us what He does not supply for us. True for the Old Testament believer. True for the New Testament believer just to drive that point home just for a moment please endure with me as we consider this or enjoy as it were Romans chapter 8 please now we already looked at the end of Romans 8 now we're going to look at the beginning of Romans 8 so Romans 8 ends with no separation right Nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Chapter 8 begins with no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation at the beginning, no separation at the end. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Verse 1 There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Made us free from the law of sin and death. Does that mean that there is no law that applies to the Christian? No. Keep reading. Verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, because our flesh is weak, we couldn't fulfill the law, God substituted. He did this, fulfilling of the law, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? Verse 4. That, it's a purpose clause, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That it might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So pause there for one moment. What God has done through Jesus is fulfill the law. He has eliminated the death portion of the law. He's removed the curse of the law from us. However, what He also does is He fulfills the law in us. When we are empowered by the Spirit, We fulfill the demands of Scripture. That's called grace. Grace is not so easily defined as God being a very sweet God who simply dismisses our sin. That is not a good or adequate definition of grace. Grace is God giving to us what we could never attain for ourselves, righteousness of Jesus, Eternal life, a perfect record, justification, and also His empowerment to fulfill what His law demands. God doesn't just say, well, the records are changed, everything's fine. Grace goes beyond that. Grace brings us to that point of a perfect record in heaven so that our our standing with God is good our standing with God is pure our standing with God is right but it brings us beyond that so that in our day-to-day walk every day God's grace enables us to fulfill the demands that he has in the scriptures this is vitally important verse 8 please will you read verse 8 with me ready so then those who are in the flesh what does it say They can't please God no matter how much they try, no matter how many prayers they utter, no no matter how much giving they do, no matter how many people they help, no matter how many people they've loved, no matter how faithful they are to church, the flesh cannot, it cannot and it will not please God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Okay, verse 8 again. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his, not God's at all. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. You see the contrast here between flesh and spirit? Flesh can't please God. Flesh can't obey the law. Flesh can't fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus, through the Spirit, fulfills the law in you. You see that in verse 4 and again in verse 11? That's what he's telling us, that the Spirit is the key to fulfilling the demands of Scripture. So, we cannot separate any any demand ever at any place in the Scripture. We can never separate it from God's gracious empowerment, God's divine enablement. We can't separate it. Everywhere you look where there's a demand, God has equal grace and, and, and overflowing grace to meet that demand. Okay, head back please to Colossians. What God demands, He supplies. And so we come to this passage and wives have experienced failure to place themselves under their, their husband's care. Every one of you that is a wife has failed at some point to place yourself under your husband's care. You've, you've done it. Husbands, we've all failed to love our wives at times as Christ loves the church. Fathers, we've all failed and we've provoked our children to anger and we've made them discouraged. We've all done this. And so we recognize deeply our desperate need for grace that God would enable us to fulfill these roles. And then we come to verse 20 and we think we can spank it out of them. We think we can spank disobedience out of our kids. And we can, we can talk to them enough to, to teach them that they, you, you, know, you must obey. You're a child and I'm your father. You must do what I tell you. And we think, this is sufficient. And I'm, I'm telling you tonight, Not that you're not aware of it, but I'm telling you, that's not sufficient. I'm not saying that there's something wrong with spanking. In fact, the Bible calls for it. He who spares the rod spoils the child. That's true. But that doesn't save them. Nor does it sanctify them. It is only showing them that sin is met with a consequence. We're training them that way with that methodology. But that's not the end of it. Even our... Right calls for their obedience. Listen, I'm your father, you're a child, you're in the stage in life, you obey, I I give you uh, directions that this is the the way God set it up. That in and of itself is not sufficient to accomplish them fulfilling the demands of Scripture. The context here, as it has been for all of these other uh, relationships in the home, is first in verses 1 through 4, we must have a mind that's set on our Savior. That's the first priority, a mindset on the savior, King Jesus. That's where it starts. Because our mind is set on the savior, in verses 5 through 9, we have some attitudes and actions that must be put to death. They must be mortified. Put off the old man because the old man only grows in corruption. It never grows spiritually ever. You will never redeem your flesh. It is corrupt through and through. So we put off the old man. Then in verses 10 through 14, we're told to put on the new man. This is is necessary. I'm just going to pause for a second head back to that old man just for a second. Because I I think there's there's a couple statements I just want to make, just for your own consideration. We might strike some things from the record from henceforth and forevermore. You ready? The phrase, I just felt it was right. Let's just strike that one from the record. Because your feelings, they're not a really good barometer for truth. I just felt it was right. I, you know, I, I, I was just listening to my heart. Ready? You ready for this one? I'm going to do this nice, up close and personal. The Bible says... The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Don't listen to your heart. Now, you laugh, but I can't tell you how many times people have used that one with me. And I can't tell you how many times I've told them that same thing. You listen to your heart and you are going to do the wrong thing almost every time. Instead, we need to put our feelings, our desires, our heart, so to speak, to death, and we need the new man to direct our steps. The new man is being surrendered to the Spirit. The new man is putting on Christ. The new man is walking by faith, walking by grace, or the Old Testament expression, faith the fear of the Lord. That is all the same concept telling us that by God's grace, we can accomplish what God has demanded of us. Putting on the new man, ready for this? Is the avenue of the supernatural. Don't think of love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, goodness, meekness, I think I skipped one. Thank you. Faith, Faith, meekness, temperance. Don't look at those as things that we can really um, come to really understand and know and then uh, somehow put into practice. That's flesh. In fact, it's so problematic for us to have this deep understanding of all of those terms that we have learned how to do it that... We might just find ourselves acting in love and acting in joy and acting in peace and acting in long suffering. And and it might seem really really nice because they're good things, but if they are derived from you, they're natural and flesh. So what we need is to put off the old man and to put on the new man and from the vast, inexhaustible resources of God, true love and true joy and true peace, true gentleness, etc. Real forbearance, real forgiveness, Real love, they'll all come from Him because that's out of His resources. So God tells us to, to put on the new man. Then in verses 15-17, through 17, a willingness to allow King Jesus to rule our lives. And What that looks like is in verse 15, we allow His peace to umpire in our hearts. This is the right way to go, that's the wrong way to go. This is a strike, that's a ball. That's an out, this one's safe. Umpire. He tells us the rules. We allow Jesus and His peace to rule in us. It results in thanksgiving toward God at the end of verse 15. Look at verse 16. When we are willing to allow King Jesus to rule our heart, we also must have a life filled with His Word. That's how it happens. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly abundantly is the concept in its abundance you know listen i heard someone say this so it's not original with me i wish that it were because it's really funny dr jimberg told us at the couple's retreat a few years back you can't rely on the daily crumb for your sustenance now what he's not saying is that it's crummy what he's saying is, is it's not enough it's like you can't sustain yourself on you know a scripture blurb at the top and then a little story it's not enough. Maybe a nice supplement, might be something you can enjoy, it's all good, but it's not enough. We need the Word of God in abundance. And the outflow of that, it, you know what it looks like? It results in edifying others. Look at the end of verse uh, 16. It says, In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so that's the results of, of a life that's filled with the Word. A life that is ruled by the peace of Christ. And you know what another result is? When Jesus is our king, when he is actively ruling our lives as king, our words and deeds reflect him. Look at verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. What does it say? Through him. I think we can apply that to the whole kitten caboodle, that through him bit. Without me, you can do. How much? Nothing. Nothing. Can we get it through our heads? Can, Can we just really allow that truth to permeate our being that nothing, not one thing that I do is good spiritually if it is not produced by my king? His name is Jesus. And so we come to our passage in verses 18 through 21. We've already talked about wives and husbands and fathers. And he introduces us to verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now this is a serious, serious subject. It's so serious that right in the middle of God telling us that His uh, righteousness is revealed from heaven, remember, against all unrighteousness, his, his truth is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and sin, He starts to, to, to list that whole downward spiral of sinfulness, right smack dab in the middle of it, is disobedience to parents. He lumps disobedience to parents in with sexual sin, with lying, with unthankfulness. He's telling us that this is as serious as serious can be. So this is, this is important information. So what I want for us to do now, we, we see verse 20. It's easy enough that you could memorize it all in one spot. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? What will it do? For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So keep that in your mind and head over to Ephesians 6 for the parallel passage. Moms and dads, we're talking to your children. But this is of utmost importance for us to understand how to train our own children. We don't just demand obedience as if they will mystically be able to accomplish that obedience. It's not like, hey listen, every good boy always obeys. Every good girl always obeys. It doesn't work that way. Just like when God says, love me with all your heart, we don't always do it, right? So we need God's aid. Your children need God's aid. And so every conversation concerning obedience must of necessity also include the Spirit's enablement. It must also include uh, the the the, the Lord Jesus and what He has done to accomplish this in them and for them and allowing them to be everything God's called them to be. So we, we must bathe our children in grace. They must be bathed in grace. It cannot be all law. Law frustrates and kills Have you seen? Have you seen people that have been under law? Have you seen what it does? It's see you later. No, thank you. I'm all set. It frustrates and it kills. Grace, the Spirit, the Son. Give life. What a difference. So here we are in Ephesians 6. Look at verses 1-3. through Familiar passage to us. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. First, there's a call to obedience. The word there, obey, boys and girls, is the word... You ready for this? Are you ready? Because this is for you guys. And anywhere else there's a child. You got it? You ready? Hupakuo. Yes. It's the best word you've heard all day. It means to listen under. To listen under. It's not the same as hupotasso, which is submit... That's to place oneself under. This is to listen under. And it carries with it an application of submission. Submission is a broader term. Obedience is a more specific term. God does not tell wives in, in Ephesians or Colossians to obey their husbands. It tells them to submit to their husbands. But it tells children to obey their parents. And it's to listen. It has uh, uh, The listening portion of this is of utmost importance. Now, we all know what happens when kids turn 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. They tend to... What? I'm not sure what you said. What was that, what was that again? I don't remember. You know, they block their ears. They don't really hear. Or, and even if they don't actually like stuff their fingers in their ears, sometimes you find out later, you, know, you really didn't hear me, did you? Because they, 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 you know that they were looking at you, and then... They didn't do the thing that was communicated, so something went wrong between the words coming this direction, them entering the ears, going to the brain, and then, all right, now I've got to do something about this thing. God says, listen, you can't obey what you haven't heard. So, young people, when you hear your parents open their mouths, here's a suggestion. You ready? Stop talking. Stop talking. Want to know why? If you're still talking while they're talking, you're not hearing them. You got to button the lips. Now, who's demanding this from you? Who's demanding it? God is, right? It's not simply your parents. It's God demanding this of you. So this is as serious as can be, right? God's telling you, close your mouth and open your ears to your parents. We first start with this this listening. If you don't really listen, you don't really obey. Obedience to your parents is a direct reflection, young people, of your relationship with the Lord. You can't say, I love God... At the same time, you disobey or dishonor your parents. You can't say it. Now you can say it, but you know, saying it doesn't make it true. At the same time, when you recognize that you are not obeying, you can know you are not walking with the Lord. So there is, there, there's this tension that we all face in various walks of life, whether you're a, a, a wife a husband, a father, or a child. When we recognize that I'm not fulfilling my function, I'm not fulfilling the role that God has for me, I'm not fulfilling the demand that God has for me, I can immediately connect it to the real problem. This is a surface problem. My not loving my wife. My not um, bringing my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. My not obeying my parents. This is a surface problem. The heart problem is this, my relationship with God is out of order. I am not fully I am not at all filled with the spirit. Instead, I'm filled with the flesh. Because you see, you can only be filled with one or the other. You're either fully filled with your flesh or you're fully filled with the spirit. There's never a half-half thing. When we feel like we're, you know, kind of sort of spiritual and kind of sort of not spiritual, that is the learned behavior from we've listened to enough sermons in our lifetime that we know what is right and what is wrong and so we kind of sort of do it and we're kind of sort of good Christians but kind of sort of not good Christians. That's flesh. Supernatural is all. All. When you are right with God, when you are walking in the power of the Spirit, your obedience is full obedience. It's it's. Obedience that is fulfilling the task when the task was assigned with the right attitude. It's not like, well, I did what you told me. That's not godly obedience. That's fleshly obedience. Now, I'm not saying that fleshly obedience is like a bad thing. Obedience is good. We're happy that someone obeyed. But when there's a a fleshly obedience, we know it's not stemming from their relationship with the Lord. It's stemming with their, maybe they don't like the consequences of not obeying. So we have good behavior modification going on. So the children know what they should do, and so they do that thing. And again, we're, we're not displeased with that, but that's not our goal. Children, teens, young people... Our goal is not simply to have you do what we tell you to do because it makes us feel better about ourselves or because the thing is done. Our goal for you is that you'd walk with God and the outflow of your walk with God would be a real demonstration of obedience in action, in the time that the action was supposed to be done and in the attitude which brings us, will bring us to honoring in just a moment. If you're struggling in this area, and I I submit, there's not a child in this room or a teenager in this room that doesn't struggle with it, because we all struggle with all of our roles. Right? Anyone in here got these things figured out and you feel like I'm just walking on cloud nine all the time? See, your parents just admitted it. All the adults here, this pastor admits that I am not always uh, functioning on... on on spirit all the time. Uh, any elder in here want to raise your hand you're not functioning fully on the spirit all the time, we admit it. You can admit it too. You can admit it. The reason that you struggle with obedience from time to time is because your relationship with God is not in its supernatural state, meaning you've put off the old man and put on the new at the time that you were struggling with the disobedience. I want to drive the point home, and I've been driving it home week after week. Trying to fulfill this demand, children, trying to fulfill this demand without the Spirit will lead to frustration, disappointment, failure, and likely, if that's the way you keep going at it, it it will bring you to the point of saying, I give up, I give up, I can't do this. This is not the way for me. However, there's hope. The hope is when you recognize yourself as violating the Scripture. When you recognize that you are not fulfilling or meeting the demand that is there, you'll recognize and you'll point back to, okay, this is because I'm not walking in the power of the Spirit. So what you'll do is you'll say, Dear Father, I'm frustrated with my parents. I'm frustrated with this demand. I'm frustrated with the situation. My desires aren't in line with your desires. Forgive me. Please fill me with your spirit that I might fulfill by your grace what God what you want me to do. It, it's you know, you, you don't use my words. You've got, to, you've got to talk to God. That's what talking to God is about. That's what prayer is about, is talking to Him. So you use your words, but somehow convey that same idea when you recognize your disobedience. And what will happen is, instead of you trying to, to will yourself to obedience, you'll find He will will you to obedience and do in you that obedience, fulfill that obedience in you. This is what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And children, teens, I'm calling you children. I know some of you aren't really children, children. But you're still in, your, in a household. So I'm going to call you children because that's what the passage is calling you. When the passage says, obey your parents and the Lord... For this is pleasing to the Lord. That was what our passage in Colossians says. It pleases the Lord. This issue comes underneath that Philippians 2.13. It's God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It's God's pleasure for you to obey your parents. That, that's the call. The call to obedience. And there is a reward. There's a reward for obedience. In Colossians, is that it pleases the Lord. And be, to, to be consistent with our phrase that we've been using throughout this study, it's pleasing your king. When you obey your parents, by God's grace, you are pleasing the king because you're allowing the king to rule in your home. The other reward is mentioned here in Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is, what's it say? Right. That term, dikaios, is used 41 times, translated righteousness. 33 times, translated just. And I think like 5 times, translated right. So I'm going to go with the majority here, and use righteousness. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is Righteousness. This is righteousness. Now how did Abraham attain righteousness? Because he was obedient? No. Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him, accredited to him for righteousness. And that same faith that God granted to Abraham, God is granted to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. So you have all the resources you need to please God, Colossians 3.20, and to fulfill the righteousness of God, Ephesians 6. 1. That's the reward. God says, obedience is righteousness. He can fulfill the righteous requirement of the law in you. Not just your parents. Not just the elders or deacons or Sunday school teachers. He can fulfill the righteous requirements of the law in you. You see, all the, the commands of Scripture... All the, the blessings of Scripture, all the graces of Scripture, they apply to you, if, if you're a believer, they apply to you just as much as they apply to anyone else here. You don't have to wait until some day later when you're a real Christian. When you trust Jesus as your Savior, you're God's child. You have all the rights and privileges of one of God's children. What a glorious truth. And so God gives you what you need. So there's a call to obedience and a reward for obedience. Now, uh, very closely aligned with that is the call to honor. Now, obedience is the action called for. Honor is the attitude called for, right? So take a look at verses 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Now he quotes from Exodus 20 in verse 12. And really, it is the first commandment of the law that has a promise attached to it. He says the same thing, except he he adds in Exodus that you'll live long in the land. What's the idea? Honoring your parents results in a long life. Well, what kind of long life? What is the reason for this? Take a look at Deuteronomy 21. Now when we talk about honor, we're talking about treating as precious or considering worthy of honor. It's the same word, or the same word group, that is used in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, where it talks about the husband honoring his wife as the precious vessel, honoring her, showing her respect. Well, the same concept is now attributed to children toward their parents, toward mom and dad. Honor your mother and your father. Have a respect or a high view of your mother and father. Let me just say this. If you find yourself struggling to have a high view of your mother and father, you have to connect it to your relationship with the Lord. Now, moms and dads can do things that are dishonorable, can't they? Maybe you've been hurt by your mother or your father. At that point, you're still responsible to honor your mother and father. Now it might be more because of their position than their action. Maybe your mom or dad does some things that are dishonorable. Maybe they've hurt you greatly. So at that point, we're not honoring the person themselves, we're honoring them because of their position. That's the requirement. Take a look at Deuteronomy 21, beginning in verse 18. Hopefully, that is the exception rather than the rule, right? Hopefully, it's the exception that we have to only honor the position rather than the person. You you definitely want to be able to honor the person, you want to love and, and cherish them. Verse 18 the reward, the reward for honor. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city, to the gate of his city. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away from you, or put away, the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Here's the reward for honor. You will not be killed. That's pretty cool, isn't it? It's like that, that's, that's good news. You won't be executed. But that is connected to what's being said. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commitment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Because to do the other side and to disobey, to dishonor, to be rebellious and stubborn and to be a glutton and a drunkard resulted in death. Well, it's a promise that could certainly be fulfilled, right? If you don't, if you don't go against your parents, you won't have a, that, that stoning kind of early exit. It's good news. Happy. There's a reward for honor. Listen, those of you who are still under your parents' roof, it's essential that you see your obedience to your parents in light of your relationship to God. It cannot be separated. It cannot be uh, distinguished. You cannot believe that you're walking with the Lord while disobeying or dishonoring your parents. Also, you cannot expect to obey and honor your parents Simply because it's right. Or simply because you want to. You will struggle if you're only doing it because it's right and because you want to. It's connected to your relationship. Because we know that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We know that in order to fulfill the demands of this passage, Colossians 3.20 or Ephesians chapter 6. We must put off our own desires and be filled with God's desires. We must be filled with the Spirit. So I want to ask you, teens and young people, you ready? If you're going to put off your old man, you're going to put off your own desires and put on God's desires, you want to be filled with the Spirit. How do you do it? Parents, I recommend a discussion with your children, teens or lower, if they know what it means to be filled with the Spirit, and how that takes place. And I might ask you, and I'm not asking for a verbal on this, do you know how? Listen, if we don't know how to be filled with the Spirit, we may as well pack it in. Seriously, you've got you nothing. You've got nothing as a believer if you don't know how to be filled with the Spirit. I think it's probably the, the most dominant theme of my preaching. We have to learn to die to ourselves. And it's not going to happen just by sheer willpower. Because your willpower, you want more chocolate ice cream. And you want more pizza. Or maybe you like vegetables. Whatever the case, you want more of it. It's not sheer willpower. It must be part of your prayer life. Dear God, help me to die to myself. Help me to put to death these desires that I have. Help me to stop being rebellious. Help me to stop being proud. Help me to stop being uh, covetous. Help me to stop being lustful. Help me to stop being... We need to to ask God to put to death our sinful affections. It's, It's only a work from Him. We can't do it ourselves put off the old man, it's a work of God. And so we beg God to to allow our old man to die so that we can put on the new man. Dear God, fill me with your spirit. How about that one? Isn't that easy to say? Help me to die to myself and my desires. Let your desires be mine. Fill me with your spirit. I wonder, friends, do you think that's a prayer God will answer? Is that a prayer in accordance with God's will? He will answer that prayer without a doubt. We have to be at the point of willingness to say, God, I don't want me. I want you. Remember what I said this morning, and I think I've said it tonight? God offers you Himself. He offers you himself. He he doesn't just put a bunch of words on a page and say, hey, now go and do this. We'd be so frustrated. He says, I'll give you myself. I'll do it. Let me do it in you. But we have to be to the point where we say, Dear God, I don't want me. I want you. The question is, are we willing to do that? That's for a mom. That's for a dad. That's for a husband. That's for a wife. It's for a child. It's for us. It's for all of us. This is why it's such a pertinent discussion around the Lord's table. Because this is real life. If the King does not impact my day-to-day life in my home, there's something wrong. The King changes everything. You look at the Gospels. Everywhere that Jesus went, there was a response. There was either an embracing or there was a ready to stone him or go the other direction. There was either love or hate. There was no mixture, no middle, middle ground. Wherever God goes, wherever Christ is, we have to respond. And if Jesus is king in our homes, it will impact every relationship. We will. We will meet the demands of Scripture. Because the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us, us, who walk not after the flesh, that's my will, but after the spirit, that's God's will. Oh, thank you, Lord. Everything I need, everything I need with nothing lacking. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider the celebration of the Lord's table after considering your place in our lives, in our homes. We ask that you would help us to be thankful that you've provided grace that is more than abundant and more than adequate to meet your demands. You've provided with us everything we need that we might have homes that reflect you In the gospel. Help us that we would die to ourselves, that we would put off the old man, and by your grace put on the new man who has already been created by you in true righteousness and true holiness and an increasing knowledge. Thank you. Thank you for these things. Help us that we would examine ourselves while remembering our Savior, and then proclaim the death of our Savior until he comes back. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.